2 Corinthians chapter 5. Second Corinthians 5, we'll look at verses 1 to 8 this morning. No one likes to think about dying. That's why so many people die without wills. We just can't bring ourselves to believe that it might happen to us. But like it or not, death gets thrust in our face from time to time. And we're faced with the ultimate question, what's going to happen to me? Since the beginning of time, pagan cultures have nurtured a variety of ideas concerning man's fate after death. Herman Bovink summarizes, some hold that the souls remain with the bodies in the grave, that they continue to have fellowship with the living, exercise influence upon them, and can also appear to them. Others judge that all the souls after death come together in one great realm of death, where they live a pale and ghostly existence, or also sink away entirely into unconsciousness and sleep. The thought is very widespread, too, that the souls, after having laid aside the human body, immediately go into another body, and depending upon what they have already done or how they have lived on earth, take on the body of a tree, or one, of, or one or another animal, or a human being, or some higher creature. People trying to figure it out, asking the ultimate question, what's going to happen to me? And isn't it interesting that as our American culture has cre- increasingly turned away from Christianity into a, 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 a materialistic kind of view, All these pagan ideas have resurfaced. Things that we thought were long behind us, but here they are again. Consider the widespread, renewed interest in reincarnation, for example. But all these attempts to see beyond the grave, whether by ancient superstition or by modern analysis of near-death experiences, they all leave us hopelessly ignorant. As one author puts it, they leave our destination still enveloped in an impenetrable mist to the searching reason of man. Well, our text this morning is a great light in that darkness. It shines the light of God's word on this subject of what will happen to us. Specifically, what will happen to those who in faith trust in Jesus. Let's read the text. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I'll read actually from verse 1 to 10. Now we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile we groan, longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling. Because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now it is God who has made us for this very purpose and has given us the Spirit as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. 
Therefore, we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. We live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So we make it our goal to please him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. We've spoken of this text briefly before as we've uh, uh, sought God's comfort in the face of uh, death. This morning I'd like to explore it a bit more fully. Here the apostle uses three metaphors, three word pictures to describe the hope that we have in Christ. So I want us to reflect briefly on each of those, for each of the three teaches us something slightly different about what's going to happen to us. The first point is this. God will give us permanent bodies. God will give us permanent bodies. First of these three word pictures is found in verse 1. When this old tent is torn down, we have a new one in heaven. So what does this tell us about what will happen? Well, think about what the Apostle Paul knew about tents. He knew something about tents. He was a tent maker. That's where he got this illustration, undoubtedly. And even though Paul, I suspect, made good tents, they were still just tents, and he knew it. They were not brick buildings or stick houses even. They had no foundation. They could be cut or torn, and a good wind might blow them away. Tents just don't last. Tents are temporary housing. So what's Paul's point here? These bodies in which we live are just tents. Just temporary housing. But God will give us a permanent body. We know that this metaphor of the tent versus the permanent building is a reference to our bodies uh, because of several clear indications in this text. One is that Paul does not use the common word for tent here, which is the Greek word uh, skene. He uses a related but different and less familiar word, skenos. That word is used only here in the New Testament two times in these verses. But it is used in the Septuagint, the old Greek Old Testament, and it's used in some of the, the papyri, some of the Greek extra-biblical writings, as a metaphor for body. So he picks up the word that says, I'm talking about our bodies here. And then also you might notice that this passage is very similar to a passage in Romans 8, which the Apostle Paul wrote about the same time that he wrote this. There he also speaks of enduring sufferings and looking for the glory to come, uh, just as we've heard in this last chapter. And what is it that the believer looks forward to? What is that glory to come, according to Romans 8? Well, according to Romans 8, 23, it is the redemption of our bodies. The resurrection of our bodies to have a body like Christ had when he was raised from the dead. A permanent, resurrected body. In fact, here in 2 Corinthians 5, the apostle uses the same language concerning our resurrected permanent bodies, our glorified bodies, that Jesus used in speaking of his own. 
Here he calls them internal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Well, in Mark 14, 58, Jesus is quoted as saying, I will destroy this temple that is made, that is made, not, that is made with hands, and in three days I will build another not made with hands. What's he talking about? Well, his apostles later make it very clear. Jesus spoke these words concerning his body. His body would be raised in a new body that is not made of human hands, a different kind of body, a permanent resurrection body. And that's the promise of our text, that God will give us a permanent resurrection body. Now this idea of an eternal body would have sounded strange to Greek and Roman ears. And it may sound strange to your ears. The Greek idea was that the soul is immortal, lives forever. The body, being material, is evil. They believed that the soul existed before you were born, and it was only imprisoned temporarily in our bodies, but that it would escape eventually when you die and live on, perhaps somewhere else. That kind of thought permeated the teachings of the philosopher Plato and the philosopher Philo. It, it, it permeated the Gnosticism that plagued the church in the early century. In, in fact, in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul went to great lengths to refute such ideas. And in 2 Timothy 2, he warned Timothy against those who would teach that the resurrection has already taken place without any new bodies, some other kind of resurrection. No. The resurrection is going to be God giving us brand new resurrection bodies. But frankly, these false views are still with us. Lots of Christians think of the future in terms of our soul being set free from this terrible body. All kinds of Christians think material things are bad, spiritual is good. The Bible knows nothing of that kind of teaching. God made us body and spirit, one living creature made in his own image. And when Christ's redemption is fully consummated in the new heaven and the new earth for all of eternity, we redeemed humans who have trusted in Jesus and been made new in him will be forever body and spirit made in the image of our creator. Just as Jesus is already resurrected and his body and spirit dwelling at the right hand of the Father. Well, dear Christian brothers and sisters, don't you buy the notion that after death we will become the spirit of the wind or the touch of the butterfly or some other such pagan gobbledygook. It's not true. In eternity to come, God will give us perfect, resurrected bodies. Wow, that kind of changes how we think about things, doesn't it? Maybe what we do in these bodies really matters more than we thought. Maybe this life is not so far divorced from what is to come that it's irrelevant as we sometimes seem to think. In fact, trying to be spiritual is as if we're not human flesh just spiritual, is not really more pleasing to God after all. 
Oh, beware. We've been sold some rehashed Greek philosophy, but it's not God's word. God will raise us to live eternally in perfect, permanent, resurrected human bodies. But when, when it seems like that will never happen, well, that brings us to our second point. We groan as we wait to be transformed. We groan as we wait to be transformed. Verses 2 to 5, the apostle picks up a second word picture, a different metaphor. Here he talks about clothes. It's clear that he's again speaking of our eternal bodies. For in verse 2, he actually mixes his metaphors. His English teacher would have a fit. We groan looking to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling. That's mixed metaphors there. Clothes and dwelling or tent or permanent building. So if he's still talking about us having resurrected bodies, why does he change the picture here? And speak of clothes. Well, the Spirit's trying to teach us something a little bit different here. Did you ever go shopping and buy clothes that were not for now, for, for, for the fall? How do you feel as you hang them in the closet? Can't wait. First cool day, I'm going to have that jacket out. It's not that you hate summer clothes. Or that you have some perverted desire to take your clothes off. It's just that you have newer, more beautiful clothes that you're anxious to put on. That's the point of these verses. Realizing the beauty and the glory and the perfection of the bodies which God is going to give us. The Apostle Paul says, we can't wait. Cannot wait to put them on. He says the same thing in Philippians chapter 3. Our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. We long to be transformed. Actually, he uses the word groan here. We groan as we wait. Speaks of actually two different kinds of groaning. First, in verse 2, he says, we groan looking to be clothed. Now, when's this clothing going to take place? When will we put on these new bodies? Well, on Resurrection Day, when Jesus returns. 1 Corinthians 15, the apostle explained it. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. And when the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true, death has been swallowed up by victory or swallowed up by life, as he says here in 2 Corinthians. What a glorious day that will be. How long must we wait? We groan, waiting to be transformed when Jesus returns to change these mortal bodies 
into immortal, imperishable bodies. That's the same thing the apostle said in Romans 8. We know that the whole creation has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth, right up to the present time. And not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of these bodies. We groan. We groan. Dr. Larry Crabb describes it this way. Beneath the surface of everyone's life, especially the more mature, is an ache that will not go away. It can be ignored, disguised, mislabeled, or submerged by a torrent of activity, but it will not disappear. And for good reason. We were designed to enjoy a better world than this. And until that better world comes along, we will groan for what we do not have. We groan as we wait to be transformed with new immortal bodies when Jesus appears. To that end, he's given us a down payment of his Holy Spirit, the earnest money, the down payment that guarantees we'll get the whole package. This is our assurance that this is God's purpose for us, that this is the point of the groaning we now endure, the longing that we find in our souls we are waiting to be transformed when Jesus comes. But then there's another kind of groaning in verse 4. He says, we also groan because we do not wish to be unclothed. We long to be clothed, and we groan because we do not want to be unclothed. You know, most people will go to great lengths to not be naked. In fact, even people who might readily take their clothes off often keep themselves, their real selves, quite hidden. And most of us resist every attempt to expose anything about ourselves. We just don't want to be unclothed. Our whole life is about covering up. We don't want to be naked. We don't want to be exposed. So what is the apostle talking about here? What nakedness does he dread so much? We groan not wanting to be naked. Well, he's speaking of the possibility that while he waits to be transformed, waits for Jesus to come, that we might die before he comes die before he transforms us into these new resurrected bodies. Remember when Jesus returns, we read he will raise the dead and he will immediately transform those who are still alive. And so throughout the ages, Christians have lived in expectation that Jesus is coming and he's going to transform us. But what if we die before that happens? What if Jesus does not come before the end of our life? Well, the apostle says we groan as we wait, dreading, dreading that possibility that we might be unclothed. 
that we might have these bodies taken off, be separated, soul and body, before we get clothed with the better eternal resurrection bodies. Well, here again, we see how far from the truth some so-called Christian thinking has strayed. Paul never longs to be set free from his body. He dreads the thought of the separation of his body and his spirit by death. Dr. Philip Hughes explains, Paul clearly does not regard the soul which has no body as being, for that reason, in an enviable state. For the body, so far from being a dungeon of the soul, is essential in accordance with the scheme of creation. The soul of man is able to express itself adequately only in conjunction with the specially prepared instrument of the body. Without a body, man ceases to be truly and properly man. And yet we hear Christians talking about wanting to become angels, bodiless spirits. Longing to be free of this physical world, things of the senses. Longing for death, set our souls souls free. Oh no, that's not a biblical point of view. Though Christ removes the sting of death because he paid for our sins and delivers us from condemnation. Death is not something good. It's the opposite of everything we were created for. It's the constant testimony of the ruin which sin has brought into the creation. It's the ultimate disintegration, the ripping apart of our person. It's the ultimate nakedness. The Apostle Paul Paul rightly says, we groan because we do not wish to be unclothed. Instead, Christians long for the glorious appearing of the Lord Jesus who will transform us and make us like self and clothe us over, that's the word, overclothe us with immortality and imperishable bodies. Do you long for that appearing? Are you so content with this world that it never crosses your mind that Jesus is coming again? The normal Christian response is that we groan as we wait to be transformed when Jesus returns. Oh, but there's one more picture to consider here, which brings us to our last point. Even death, even death will only bring us home. Even death will only bring us home. Finally, verses 6 to 8, there's one more picture of what the future holds for God's people, for those who trust in Jesus. It will be like going home. Going home. Here the Apostle Paul deals in these last verses, deals head on with the reality, the harsh reality of our present situation. Though we long for Christ to return and transform us, And though there is no question as to the final outcome, glorified, resurrected bodies in a new creation, a new heaven, and new earth forever. Right now, 
until Jesus comes, there are only two situations in which we might live. We can be at home in these bodies and consequently not present with the Lord. Or we could be at home with the Lord and consequently no longer in these bodies, ripped away from our bodies. In other words, we've died. This is no small issue. Death means terrible disintegration of our human person. It's the unnatural separation of soul from body. It's the result of man's fall into sin with all of its destructive power. The Apostle Paul hates the prospect of death. He longs for Jesus to come, but he hates the prospect of death. But while death may be able to separate us, is able to separate us from our bodies, it cannot separate us from the Lord Jesus Christ. Indeed, as bad as it is, even death will only bring us home to our Savior. And so after weighing the gains and losses, in Philippians 1, the Apostle Paul writes about it. He says, for me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm to go on living in this body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I'm torn between the the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary that I remain in the body. Paul here is suggesting that we may face the time when our future will include our soul, but not our body. It will not be long, for God has promised us a resurrected body with Jesus. But if the Lord does not return first, there may be a time when to be present with the Lord, we will be away from this body. That time between our death and resurrection day. But even if it comes to that, he says, the truth is, it will be worth it. For death will only bring us home to the Father. I was gone this week, just for a few days. But let me tell you, once you turn your head toward home, nothing else matters. (laughs) Whatever the problem, it's only a little convenience. We're pressing on. Whatever the attraction has no appeal to me, I'm going home. And that's how we live. Confident that even in the face of death, which is this ultimate absurdity, this ultimate obscenity, even that cannot stop it. We will go home to be with our Father. We live as pilgrims, pilgrims still, longing for a city, longing for a body, longing for transformation, longing for immortality, not just for our souls, but for our whole person 
and even death cannot stop it. Well, there's so many questions about what might lie ahead. God has not been pleased to satisfy our curiosity. The more we study, the more questions we have. But he's not left us in total ignorance either. For here we learn at least three truths about the future for those who are trusting Christ as their Savior. First, that God will give us a permanent body. Our eternal state will not be what you might have thought. Beware of pagan ideas creeping into your faith. We will live as human bodies and souls together as one person for all eternity. Second, now we groan. It's normal. We groan, waiting to be transformed. We expect Jesus to come. We expect him to come and change these mortal bodies into immortal bodies, imperishable bodies. At the same time, we groan at the prospect that we might die before he does. But even if we die, even death, thirdly, will only bring us home. Though we have work to do here, and God may very well leave us here to do it. Though dying is an affront to everything which we love and hold dear, yet to be present with the Lord, even naked, without our bodies, is still better. For then we're home. Amen. Let's pray. Father, there's so much we don't understand about what lies ahead. And yet, Lord, we're not in ignorance to just speculate as the world around us all speculates. You've told us some things. We have trouble getting our minds around them, but Lord, help us to try and to chew on it and digest it. And to live with this reality that there's more to this than what we can see right now. That there's a whole eternal existence, a new heaven, a new earth, a new world, the kingdom of God. And that we will live there by your grace, by the transforming work of our Savior. And Lord, we long for him to come and transform us. And we hate the thought of dying. But Lord, may we have hope, even as we look death in the face, that because of Jesus, to be absent from this body is only to be present at home with you. Oh Lord, help our faith. It's so weak. Strengthen us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.